Well, good morning. It is always an honor to stand before you, especially on this 4th of July. And so for those of you in the congregation here present, happy 4th of July. And for those joining us online, uh, we wish you the same. And if you are joining us from overseas on live streaming, uh, today we are celebrating America's birthday. And so thank you for tuning in. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Galatians Uh, The fifth chapter of the book of Galatians. If you have your pew Bible, that's page 1822. Again, that's 1822. And if you are joining us online, I would always encourage you to grab a Bible and follow along with us. And I would encourage you to write in your Bible, take notes in your Bible, any point that stands out to you, um, thought you might have, what the Holy Spirit is telling you, whatever it might be, jot that down in your Bible. And so that's where we're going to be today. And whenever we gather for worship, um, kind of twofold goal. One is to glorify God and make his name known to the nations. And two is to draw our hearts near to him. And so that is the goal of today. And while you're turning there, let us go before him in prayer. Father, it is for your great name that we have gathered so that you might be made famous among the nations. Your glory and your renown span the earth, and all of the created order is yours. And so, Lord, this morning, as we investigate, as we look at what freedom is, as we um, long for true freedom, I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would um, stir in our hearts that we would come to understand exactly what you have called us to, and not only understand it, but to walk in it. So, Father, transform us in these moments by the power of your word and your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Again, Galatians chapter 5, page 1822 in your pew Bibles. Not just any Bible, I wouldn't know that, but in the pew Bibles. Now, this week was a, actually this past week was a big week for my family. Uh, My father and his brother ended up selling the family business. And so they were kind of reaching retirement age and decided that it was just time to sell the family business. They owned a car dealership together. It was a car dealership that my grandfather began, eventually turned over, and then I was going to take it over, but the Lord had different plans, and so I'm here. Um, so they sold the business, and it was kind of this end of an era. Um, it was kind of emotional. It was a hard time as they signed the deed over for the land and closed out all the accounts that still owed them money. Um, it was this weird time. And, and even for me, a hundred miles away, it was difficult because there were a lot of memories in that place. In fact, I worked there for a season when I was in high school and college. And if those walls could talk, they would tell some pretty colorful stories. I remember when I was very young, six or seven years old, um, there was a time where some teenagers were breaking in to the back area where they kept some extra cars and cars that needed repair and things like that. And some teenagers were hopping over the fence and they were stealing CD players. If you remember CD players, does anybody still have one of those? Okay, no. All right. So CD players uh, and they would leave, you know, broken bottles and things like that trash. It it just was an all around bad situation. And so um, my dad and his brother bought a guard dog. Now, in this day and age, you can't do that. But they bought a guard dog and this dog was from the pound. It was half German shepherd, half mountain lion, I believe. And it was a just a massive dog. I mean, a massive, massive dog. 
And being six or seven, the dog probably looked larger than life. And it was a mean dog, the kind of dog that even my father was scared of. And when you're a kid, you know, your dad's not scared of anything. And so if he was scared of this dog, that was a scary dog. This dog took up residence in the back area where all the cars were. And oftentimes after school, my mom would pick me up. We would go visit my dad at his car dealership and there was a gas station next door and we would go over. We would get a drink and maybe a Snickers bar or something along those lines. And we would walk along the fence and that dog would follow us on the other side of the fence. Praise God. And he would just follow along with us. That was the norm. And so we would walk and the dog would be following along with us. And that was just what we did. One day. We, my mother and I got to the car dealership and uh, my dad takes me to go next door and the dog's not there. And as a six or seven year old little boy, my spidey senses are tingling. I'm already nervous, but I didn't want to give off that I was nervous. I didn't want my father to pick up on that. And so we were walking along and got to the gas station, got what we wanted, turned back. And as we turned back, we were walking back along the gate where typically the dog would be following us. And we got past this car. All of a sudden, the dog juts at the fence and scares me tremendously. I mean, words that uh, just just terrifying. Just one of those sudden jump scare moments. And so I turn in my vast bravery, I turn and run the other way. And my father grabs me by my shirts and stops me. You know, it's interesting because I was turning to run away from what I perceived as a clear and present danger, totally neglecting what was on the other side of me, which is Highway 25. Uh, Pleasantburg Drive here in Greenville, South Carolina. You see, on both sides of me, there was danger. But in seeing the danger of this dog, seeing the perceived danger, there was a fence between us. I was running headlong into something that was really more dangerous. Praise God, my dad was there. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, says this. We're going to put it up on the screen for you. The devil always sends heirs into the world in pairs, pairs of opposites. And he always encourages us to spend a lot of time thinking which is worse. You see why, of course. He relies on your extra dislike of the one error to draw you gradually into the opposite one. And as Christians in our day and age, and really throughout the years, throughout the centuries, there are two great dangers that threaten to derail our Christian faith. As we talk about Christian freedom, as we talk about what Christ has called us to, there are two errors that run side by side. On one side, you have a terrifying dog. And on the other side, you have a road filled with tractor trailers and cars that aren't paying attention because they're texting and driving. And so for our faith, we need to stay right in that lane where there is safety and where there are markers and where we know where we're going. Galatians chapter five, verse one says this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You who have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself 
through love. Now, skip down to verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, if you have little kids, this is a great verse. If you bite and devour each other, watch out and you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I believe that at our very core, we are serious about freedom. Humans want freedom. We want autonomy. We want freedom from restraint, from chains, from things that would enslave us. In fact, if you study psychology and you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you have four basic human needs. Those are warmth, water, food, and rest. And as you begin to scale up the hierarchy, there is autonomy, there is freedom, there is identity. Humans want freedom. In fact, I would argue that the reason you are the way you are is because you are pursuing freedom. The career that you chose is because at some level you think that will bring you freedom. The spouse you are with or the reason you might not be with a spouse anymore is because you think that person will bring you some level of freedom. Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, it is because you are pursuing freedom. The reason people do what they do is because they want freedom. And here's the deal. Christ has called you and I to freedom. It is for freedom. For the very sake of freedom, Christ has set you free. He gives us our deepest desire. It is for freedom that you have been set free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Um, Here's what's going on in the church of Galatia. Let me just give you a brief rundown because text without context is not text at all. Okay, Galatia is not a city. It is a region. It is a swatch on the map in the ancient Near East. And what has happened is Paul, throughout his missionary journeys, is going from church to church. He's either establishing churches or he's helping fortify and build up churches that are already established. And he's going through these churches and he's teaching them about the freedom that Christ has brought. You have people who are Jews that have converted to Christianity. You have Gentiles who have converted to Christianity. And behind Paul, as he leaves one church, this group comes in, this group called the Judaizers. And the Judaizers are going behind Paul's back and they are teaching a false gospel. They are teaching that, yeah, Paul gave you the story, but he didn't give you the whole story. And now for the rest of the story, if you guys remember Casey Kasem. Let me tell you what he left off. And the Judaizers are saying that for the Gentiles, in order to be a Christian, they must first become Jewish. They must first go through all the rituals. They must adhere to the laws, the 613 precepts of the Levitical law. And only then, only after conversion, can they attain what Christ brings them. These people were disrupting. They were usurping. They were going behind Paul's back and spreading a false gospel. And he's dealt with this his entire ministry. In fact, Paul is at his wit's end in the book of Galatians. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? 
And he says, if anyone comes, even an angel comes preaching a false gospel, let them be. And then he says anathema. And it means let them be cursed. Let them be cut off. Paul is serious about the freedom that Christ brings. Paul is serious. I mean, that's strong. Let them be cursed. Let them be cut off from Christ. That is strong language because Paul is serious. Jesus is serious about your freedom. In fact, I would argue Jesus is more serious about your freedom than you are. The first great error that Christians find themselves falling into is what is called legalism. Picking back up the law that has been fulfilled on our behalf by Christ, the man, the God who suffered and died so that you and I might be seen as righteous and holy in God's sight. And and what legalism is, and and legalism has a a bit of a misdefinition, so let's do it. Um, It's kind of a Christianese term. And I remember growing up in youth group, whenever somebody would try and uh, be diligent and be disciplined, they would always be accused of being a legalist. Oh, you're just being a legalist now. Oh, you don't want to do this thing. You're being a legalist. Now, listen, the law of God is not bad. And following the law of God is not bad. In fact, it is good. It is just. It is wise. It is judicious. It is how we know God and how we know to pursue God. It is right, and it has been fulfilled in Christ. Legalism, then, is not following God's law. Legalism is instead following God's law in the hopes that it will make you right with Him. Legalism is looking to the law of God in order to gain God's approval. I will do these things, dot, 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 and then God will love me more. Anybody ever felt that way? You don't have to raise your hands. The answer is yes. If I do this, God will care for me more or he'll bless me. And we establish a transactional relationship with God where I do these things, you do these things, the contract is good. And Paul is saying, you have been freed from this. 613 precepts of the law. You have been freed from them because they have been fulfilled fully in Jesus Christ. The Tour de France is on. Does anybody watch the Tour de France? Show of hands. Wow, I'm the only one. Okay. That sure makes me feel alone up here. It is weird. A bunch of guys on bicycles with spandex on. Okay. Uh, Anyway, there's this thing in the tour cycling called moto pacing. And what happens in moto pacing is a car drives in front of a group of cyclists and they try and keep up with the car. That's it. Nothing special, nothing fancy. But basically, there's a guy in it that yells, pedal faster. Okay, it's supposed to be motivating. It is the most demotivating thing that could ever happen. Pedal faster. Do more. You're not good enough. Keep going. Come on. We're almost there. you got to make it up this hill. And I think a lot of times, most of us view Christianity and the gospel as spiritual moto pacing where we think the cross is before us and the good news of the gospel is Jesus riding in a car in front of us going, do more, be better, try harder. Oh, you failed there. Sorry, get up, keep going. You're not there yet. And the truth of the gospel, the good news is you are there. 
because you have been placed there. You see, grace is not something that Christians have to attain. Grace is a gift that has been given and in which we make our stand as believers. The good news of the gospel is that you don't have to fulfill the law. It has been fulfilled for you. And for the legalist in the room, this has to be good news. Because isn't the law crushing? Luther says the law is a schoolmaster that points us to the great need for a savior. I mean, really, 613 precepts, and I broke a lot of them on the way here this morning. And maybe you did too. Let's just go from the top. Exodus chapter 20, uh, the Ten Commandments. Let's take one. Um, Thou shalt not murder. I'm not going to ask if any of you have murdered anyone before. Because I don't want to know the answer. But Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, I tell you this, if any of you has hated someone in his heart, you've committed the same sin. Have you ever hated anyone? Yeah. We'll mess that one up. Jesus says, thou shalt not bear false testimony. Have you ever lied? And like, have you ever lied just to lie? Like you're telling a story and then all of a sudden you know you say a lie and it's not true, but it's too late to go back. Yeah, we can't even get past the top 10, much less 613. We're in bad shape. And honestly, legalism produces two types of Christians. One, a Christian that is bound in despair because they are being crushed by the weight of the law. And you have despairing Christians who doubt their salvation, doubt their ability. They wallow in shame and woe is meism because they cannot, they cannot obey. They cannot walk faithfully. Or you have people who arbitrarily pick two or three of the commandments and do those things really well. And those are the hyper type A people in the room. And they become really prideful and they use their arbitrary three or four in order to judge others. Oh, you're, you're cussing? Watching rated R movies? You don't homeschool your kids? And we take those things and we, we use that as a lens by which we judge others. What it does not produce is freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. The Apostle Paul talks about this. Verse 3, again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace, for through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. Christ has given you grace. You know, as Christians, and this is going to get technical, um, as Christians, our indicative precedes our imperative. And what that means is who you are gives birth to what you do and not the other way around. Let me put it like this. I'm up here preaching not because I am trying to be a pastor at First Pres. I am a pastor at First Pres, therefore I am up here preaching. My indicative precedes my imperative. You are holy. You are free. You are saved. Therefore, you do these things. 
Therefore you worship, therefore you pray, therefore you share your faith, therefore you do not do these and you do do these things. Does that make sense? It's a little heady for 8.30 in the morning, but it's okay. The first great error of the Christian faith is legalism. Skip down to verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. The second great error of the Christian faith that we can fall into, in fleeing from legalism, many people find themselves into, and I couldn't think of a better word for this, but antinomianism. All right, anti, um, against, nomos is Latin for law. Um, against the law, this is a libertine lifestyle. It's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And this is how the Christian reasoning goes. Jesus has purchased by his blood on the cross my forgiveness. Jesus has saved me. He has healed me. He has forgiven me. Therefore, I can do whatever I want. This is sometimes called cheap grace or easy believism. I can do whatever I want. He forgives me, right? I can just say sorry. Or I could have a deathbed confessional. You've heard of those? I can live however I want to, and then at the end, forgive me. And the Apostle Paul says, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. And then in Romans chapter 3, he attacks this viciously. Because there were a group of people going around saying, when we sin and God forgives us, it makes him look better. So let's sin all the more so that God looks better and better and better. And the Apostle Paul says, May that never be. In the Greek, he actually uses the strongest contrasting language you can use. He says Allah, which means that can't happen. You cannot be a believer and use Jesus's grace in vain. You cannot take the sacrifice of Jesus and turn it into your VIP pass to do whatever you want. And we live in a day and age where we need the law of God to guide us and to help us to discern the times. Because I don't know if you're looking out into the culture, but it is wild out there. And we are called to be something different. We are called to be something holy and pure and separate in the culture, but not of the culture in the world, but not of the world. Our indicative has to precede our imperative and we follow Christ because we've been radically transformed by Christ. Keep reading. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So you have these two great errors. You have legalism. You have antinomianism or libertine lifestyle, however you want to say it. And so if we have these, and they sound contrasting, I get it. It's confusing. It, it is. Do you understand that even the Bible says the Apostle Paul is confusing to read? If you read Paul's, or I'm sorry, if you read Peter's epistles, he's writing to a congregation and he says, I hear you've been reading the letters of Paul. Good luck. Right, that's basically what he says. Good luck with that. Let me know how it goes. It's confusing. At some points, Paul calls us slaves. At some points, he calls us free. At some points, he says this doesn't matter. And at some points, he says it does. So which is it? 
And here's the thing. There are two great errors on the sides of us. There are two ditches that we can drive our car into, one on the left, one on the right. How do we proceed? What is the path forward? And so Paul gathers up these two errors and he says this, Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. What if freedom, according to Scripture is not autonomy and freedom from consequence. What if freedom isn't autonomy and freedom from consequence, but it is the freedom to give of your very self? You see, some of the greatest freedom that we can celebrate is men and women who have given everything for this great nation. Those are the heroes Those are the people who made the ultimate sacrifice and up to the ultimate sacrifice, put their families on pause, put their lives on pause, put their other careers on pause in order to go and fight that we might do this here freely. And we might live in one of the greatest nations that has ever been on this earth. What if freedom is the freedom to give of our very lives? Because the Apostle Paul seems to say, That in avoiding these two errors, where we will find ourselves is placing ourselves lower on the list of priorities. I think of the C.S. Lewis quote that humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. That if you want true freedom, if you want to experience the depth and joy and vitality that Christ offers to us that Christ has established for us. It looks like giving of your very lives. Listen, um, we get to talk to some pretty incredible people here at First Pres. People locally who attend this church, people internationally who are missionaries that come visit us or we see them at the ECO gatherings. And one thing that anecdotally I, I just keep finding is the people who serve and serve and serve are never running on empty. The people who give and give and give always have enough. The people who give the most of themselves emotionally are the ones who have the most joy. And the people who are bound by the needs of many are the people who are the freest. It's incredible to watch people who come from war-torn lands, who come from places where Christianity is illegal, and then talk about the joy and the freedom that Jesus Christ brings them. And not too long we'll have people here um, sharing that news with you, that great news with you. And I can't wait for you to hear it. But it seems like the path to freedom is by thinking of ourselves less and putting the needs of others before our very own. That to transform a city looks like not thinking of yourself so much, but thinking about your barista and the grocery person that's checking you out and your mechanic who's changing your oil, and the lawn person who's taking care of your yard. It's by serving your Sunday school class and your missional communities, by giving of your time and your money and your talent, by serving. And I know that's the upside-down economy of the kingdom where everything seems backwards and counterintuitive, but it seems like when we give of ourselves, that's where we find freedom. So I say, this is verse 16, 
walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Again, Paul gathers up these two heirs and he says this for the legalist in the room. For the person living by a list of do's and don'ts and checklists that if you've had a good day, you feel closer to God. And if you've had a bad day, you feel further away from God or like he doesn't like you as much. For the person who is caught up on the wheel of shame, look to Christ. Look to Christ. Walk by the Spirit. Set your eyes on Jesus, not on a list of do's and don'ts. And for the person living the lawless life, for the person who has swung the pendulum the other way, and there's some of you in here today, and you're welcome here. Repent and look to Jesus Christ. Look to Jesus and walk by the Spirit. It is in following the law that we can pursue Him well. We can know His desire for our lives. We can know wisdom in the moment. Follow this Christ. And so believers today, I don't know where you're at. I don't know where on that pendulum swing you are. Maybe you've had seasons in your life where you're one and then seasons where you're the other. What would it look like if we slowed that pendulum swing down? And instead of vacillating between uh, lawfulness and lawlessness, we walk by the Spirit. We set our focus and our gaze on Jesus Christ so that we are not burdened by shame and doubts of our own salvation or our inability to pursue Him, but that we follow Him diligently and that we would serve others in this church, outside of this church, that would care for one another. Because the whole law, as Paul says, is filled in this commandment, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. First Presbyterian Church, people of God, this is the gospel message. This is the good news, and today it's for you. Let us pray. Father, this morning we are grateful, grateful for your freedom that you give us. Grateful that you have called us out of shame and sin and darkness. Grateful that you have given us grace. We, we don't have to earn it. We don't have to chase after it for our whole lives and feel like we're just spinning our wheels in the dirt. You've given it to us. And so, Father, today I pray that you would impress on our hearts our next flourishing step. That each of us would know what it is that you are calling us to. For some, we need to repent of legalism. For too long, we have arbitrarily picked a few items on your list. And we've mastered those things. We've done them well. And we judge others who don't do those things well. And that's sin. Or we have failed over and over and over to the point that our anxiety has riddled our very soul. And that's sin as well. And and for the antinomian in the room, the the libertine, the, the one living lawlessly, Pray, Father, that we would come back to following you, pursuing you with joy and fervor. That we would repent and we would look to the cross, that we would look to you for our salvation. So, Father, this morning, impress upon us what our next steps of obedience are. 
as we respond in worship. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.